0: Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. So we are in Ezekiel chapter 15 this morning. Uh, That's the handout you've got coming around is uh, from chapter 16 through 19. We'll we'll go directly into that right after chapter 15. We didn't get to that one last week, so I wanted to mention just a couple of things from Ezekiel chapter 15. Um, You know, just... I guess just looking ahead, you know, we've, we've got uh, 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel, and we're in chapter 15 now, so I'm going to have to uh, put a little hitch in my giddy up and strike a trot, you know, and go a little bit quicker, so uh, we'll and I say that and here I'm wanting to read all of chapter 15 but but if you look at it chapter 15 is the shortest book in the book of, or shortest chapter in the book of Ezekiel um, so uh, I'd like to go through and just read that it's divided into two different sections here um, so I'll read the first part we may comment about it and then read the second part so um, Chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood, the vine branch which is among the trees of the forest? Is wood taken from it to make any object? Or can men make a peg from it to hang any vessel on? Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both ends of it, and its middle is burned. is, Is it useful for any work? Indeed, when it was whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and burned it? Um, Well, let's just go ahead and read all of it. Sorry. Okay. Verse 6, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will set my face against them; they will not go out from one fire. They will go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Then, I, when I set my face against them, thus I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord. So Jerusalem here is compared to that of a a, a vine of the forest, one that's, uh, I guess you could say useless there. Um, Or I guess, I think another word that you could say would be uh, non-productive. Um, You know, God set the, the nation of Israel in a location, in a place at the center of nations where they should have been an example to all the other nations in how to live godly. They had the law, they had God's commandments. Yet instead of that, uh, you know, from, from some of the previous chapters, what what were they doing? Dead. Right. Yep. Anything else? They weren't productive. They were performing all of these adulterous acts. They were in in these. They were sacrificing children to these to these other idols. So they had shed much uh, blood in the land. Um, so God says, and and in here it's, you know, all of those things are not mentioned in this chapter. What's mentioned, what's mentioned in this chapter I thought was interesting was they were just not productive. They were not doing the things that they should have. It doesn't mention the adulterous acts, even though those were going on. But, you know, God had his commandments and they were not performing those. They were not doing good. They were not, um, Doing those things, so they were just unproductive, and then because of that, God would give them up, uh, and they would go into Babylonian captivity. And you see there that, you know, there there was a fire there. That's you know one of the things that uh, would happen. You know, Jerusalem would be burned. Um, So, just thoughts there. I mean, how can how can this apply to us today? So Jerusalem was unproductive. They weren't doing the things that they should have. And the ultimate uh, reason there for this, that God would give them up, said He would make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness, we, we read about that in chapter 14, I think along, verse, along about verse 12, where it said, God said, if a, if a land sins against me with persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. Uh, send famine upon it, cut off both man and beast from it. it Any? Like be yeah, good. Any other comments? Yeah, I, I think that's good. We're, we're expected to be fr- fruitful, we're expected to produce, we're expected to do things. Russell? Mm. Good. Yeah, we're expected to use our talents as God has given to us. Yeah. So we're not only not supposed to do the bad things, we're supposed to do those things. Use our talents. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Any other comments? Any other thoughts? Okay. Chapter 16. Um, and if you look at chapters 16, 17, and 18, so chapter 16 kind of looks at, you know, when we're going through this, we're looking more at, at, at a historical, uh, I guess, view of Israel uh, where we're looking at, if you look at the first verse there, or the second verse, uh, verse or chapter 16, verse 2, it says, "...Son of man caused Jerusalem to know her abominations." So. The things that are going on there in Jerusalem, Ezekiel is going to tell, okay, this, these are the abominations. These are the things that, that are going wrong that shouldn't happen. And if you look at this, this starts in, in this chapter, Israel is compared to that of a, a an unfaithful wife or an adulterous wife. And it starts from... The birth. So as as this comparison is made, we're talking about the Jerusalem or that nation, but it's compared also to this woman at the same time, and it starts at birth and then goes all the way through to a covenant relationship that she will have with God, which she acts, which she ends up breaking. So it it's kind of you know it starts at the beginning. Once we get into chapter 17. There's the thought of, you know, going from, okay, past, what has gone on before, to, okay, what what's happening now? And it refers to what's going on in the nation at that time. And then when we get into chapter 18, it talks more about uh, an individual responsibility that each of us has. So we go from past to present to, you know, you could say me or that individual. So... In chapter 16, uh, we go through, so Ezekiel is told to um, make known to Jerusalem her abomination. She's compared to that of an unfaithful wife. And so in verses 3 through 5, it talks about Jerusalem, or it talks about her birth, how that when she was uh, born, no one had compassion on her. But it, it says that she was basically cast out into an open field, and she was loathed, which what would happen... If if a child was was that was done to a child, the child would live if they were just cast out into an open field. No, right, certain death. Right, if a, if a child was born cast out into an open field, so no one had compassion on her, but God passed by in verses six through seven. God had compassion when He uh, passed by and He saw her struggling and said, and God said to her, "Live." The only reason that the nation had existed or became a nation was because God had allowed it. Remember, God is always in control. In verses 8 through 14, it says, Then at the time of love, that is at the time of maturity, at the time when the nation was uh, mature enough for a covenant relationship, God entered into a covenant relationship with her. And then it shows a list of things that God had Did to demonstrate uh, His love in providing for her and giving her gifts and making her beautiful and things of this nature. It says that she was adorned, uh, uh, beautiful and famous, and it was because of God's splendor which He bestowed upon her. So all the things that she had was because God had given uh, to her. Um, That's kind of, I guess you could say, the first section. Then when we get to verse 15, it kind of... uh, I guess you could say takes a turn for the worse, right? So in, in verses uh, 15 through 41, just looking at this this page here, uh, the summary there it says that she rejects God and commits harlotry, and that that word harlotry from verses 15 through 41 it's used uh, 21 times, and Jerusalem is compared to that of a harlot. Uh, I think that's about as, as much of detail, we'll get into that. Uh, if you read through the chapter itself, God is very, um, what's the word, explicit in, in how he compares uh, Jerusalem to that of the adulterous wife, so there's little room for the imagination once you get to reading through that. Um, so she rejects God, she commits harlotry, and she has no regard for the covenant that she has with God. Um, Also, she used gifts from God to provide for her her idolatrous acts. We see that in verses 15 through 22. Uh, In verses 23 through 29, uh, it says that she adopted uh, some of the religious beliefs and made alliances with some of the other nations. Some of those specifically mentioned, Egypt, Felicia. Uh, We'll read more about them in chapters, I think, 25 through 32. And then we also see Assyria and then Chaldea, which is basically Babylon, where she will go away captive into Babylon. Uh, Assyria, that's the nation that, that destroyed Samaria, uh, the northern tribe, uh, the northern uh, Israel, the northern tribes. And uh, it's interesting to note that uh, the motivation that she had was not money. But it was rather uh, her lustful desires. We see that in verses thirty through thirty-four. So, it, you know, if, if you look at that profession, that's a profession where they uh, solicit money from uh, from those that uh, well, from from certain people. But she did not do that. But rather, she paid. Uh, these people, these, these nations and things of that nature to make alliances with them, to adopt their gods, their religious beliefs. And that was a rejection of God. That was their faithlessness or lack of faith that they had in God. So um, instead of trusting in God, she tried or she trusted in these other nations. Verses 35 through 43, uh, this is the punishment uh, that God says that he will do. God will punish her by using the other nations or the nations in which she committed uh, the harlotry with to take away all that God had provided for her. So we see whenever uh, the Babylonians will come in, they'll take away all of the gifts, all of the things, all of the things in the temple, and eventually they will make the land desolate. They will destroy the temple Destroy the wall, uh, break everything down. Uh, she also did not remember God in the days of her youth, where God had provided for, where God had gone through and passed by and said, Live, provide all of the gifts for, uh, but rather they enraged him with, with all of her acts. Um, and then God will recompense her deeds upon her own head. Um, she will have to pay for the things, uh, or, or these. all these things are coming about because of the choices uh, that they made. Also, in let's see, verses 44 through 59, chapter 16, 44 through 59. So Jerusalem became more corrupt in all her ways than Samaria and Sodom. Samaria being um, the capital city of Israel, the northern tribes, Um and we talked a little bit about, do you remember what happened to Samaria? They became corrupt. They were um, idolatrous, uh, committing these things. And, and what did God do with Samaria? Do you remember? Took them away captive by the Assyrians. They would no longer become a nation. They would, they would not, um, I guess you could say, uh, return from that cap- captivity. So they were taken away. Uh, and then Sodom. What happened to Sodom? Right, they were completely destroyed. Right, and so we see it, And and you know the the the, I guess you could say Judah or Jerusalem knew these things. They saw these things. They had those nations or those tribes or whatever as, as an example. The, the city of Sodom, also Samaria, they were an example. You know, they, she, you know, Judah should have learned and saw that, okay, the acts that they had committed resulted in this. You know, I, I, sh- I should avoid that. I should not avoid these things and I should do the things that God wants. But she didn't learn that lesson. And it also goes on to say that Sodom was more righteous than Jerusalem was in that the the wicked acts that they were committing, uh, she made Sodom look more righteous or appear righteous. Uh, Also, God will deal with her as she has done that, you know, the consequences of the actions that that the nation is taking um, and they despise the oath. And they broke the covenant that they had with that they had with God. Um, so, kind of, I guess you could say a little bit of uh, a little bit of gloom there, as some of the the things that are mentioned there in the Book of Ezekiel. But in the last verses, there, verses sixty through sixty three, uh, it says that God will remember, and He will reestablish uh, His covenant with Israel, and God will provide atonement for all that they had done. So in 536, whenever they come back from Babylonian captivity, God gives them back the land of Israel, and they're there. And, you know, in talking, you know, throughout this chapter, looking at Judah's or Jerusalem's unfaithfulness to God, we see in the last three or four verses there that despite that, God is still faithful himself. So he remembers his promises. He will keep his promises, and he will bring them back. He will um, save them a remnant so that they will come back. And we look back at the promises that God had made with Abraham, with David, You know, in Genesis chapter 22 and also First Samuel, or Second Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So the promises uh, that God had made. So God is faithful despite their unfaithfulness. So, thoughts, questions? Any lessons for us? Yep. 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 Despite our unfaithfulness, God is still faithful, keeps His promises. We can count on that. We've seen it several times. As Hiram said this morning, you know, these things were written for our learning. Okay. Anything else? All right, good. All right, chapter seventeen. So there, there's a a parable or a riddle here. It's mentioned both. Uh, God says that Ezekiel was to pose a, to pose a riddle to them and speak a parable to them. Uh, and we're, we're looking more in this chapter. You know, in chapter sixteen we look more at you know the beginning of, of, of Israel as a nation or Jerusalem at her birth, looking at the things I guess you could say the the fathers have done now we're looking in chapter 17 at the here and now. So while Ezekiel is writing this, we're still in the sixth year of the captivity. Uh, The seventh year won't start until we get into chapter 20. So this is three more years, I think, until the siege. Five more years before Jerusalem is destroyed. So... This is happening so, and it speaks to um, you know some of the kings that are there. So, chapter seventeen. So there it says Ezekiel to pose a riddle. A riddle is a riddle is something that's uh, I guess you could say obscure, needs a little bit of explanation. Uh, not something that you can always pick up and know exactly what's being talked about. And then. He's to speak a parable to them. This is more of a side-by-side comparison, which is a little bit easier to understand because it makes a comparison to something uh, that they would know. So he's supposed to pose a riddle, speak a parable to them to the house of Israel. So in verses 3 through 6, there well, I guess you, I guess you could say there are two eagles in this chapter. There are two vines, I guess you could say, and then there's also a twig toward the end. So in 3 through 6, it says that there was a great eagle, which references the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off a twig to the land of trade. Um, That twig, uh, referring to Jehoiachin, so we know that Jehoiachin was the third to the last king, so it would be Jehoiachin... No, he was the second to the last. So it's Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and then Zedekiah. So Jehoiachin there, we know that he was taken away captive into Babylon. Uh, he became king. He reigned for three months before he was summoned, I guess you could say, off to Babylon. So, uh, and, and he would remain in Babylon for 37 years in prison before he was finally released. And then afterward, he would stay in Babylon, but he would at least eat at the king's table. So... So the great eagle, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off a twig, Jehoiachin, to the land of trade. Then he planted a seed uh, from the land and fertile soil. So when, whenever uh, Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive into Babylon, he set up his uncle, Zedekiah, as king. So Nebuchadnezzar set him up as king, and then what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do was to keep him there, but take probably the, the best of the land off captive to Babylon. So he would be a vassal. Uh, he would report to, I guess you could say, the king of Babylon. But, but initially uh, there was, a, uh, I guess you could say, a covenant made between Nebuchadnezzar and Zedekiah that he would stay there in the land, uh, which eventually would be a covenant that he would break uh, as well. So he planted a seed, he put Zedekiah, established Zedekiah, uh, Joachim's uncle, as king in the land. And also it says that instead of a willow tree, set it up as a willow tree, uh, and it became a spreading vine of low nature. This is all found in verses 3 through 6. Its branches were toward him. So uh, I guess you could say Zedekiah, the one that was set up, his branches were toward the, the, the eagle. Nebuchadnezzar, but then his roots were under him. So you don't know what his roots are doing, right? Then in seven through eight, verses seven through eight, we see another great eagle. So this is another great eagle. This is referred to uh, Pharaoh Hophra, so as king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and it says that the vine bent its roots toward him. So it. At the first eagle, you see the branches, the things that are visible that you can see. You know, placing his allegiance toward Babylon, but at the same time, his roots are pointing toward Egypt. Uh, so, this is the the riddle, I guess you could say, the parable that's posed. And then in verses eleven through twenty-one, God through God goes through, or Ezekiel explains exactly what's, what's going on there. So we see Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and took its king, which is Jehoiachin, and the princes carried them off to Babylon. And this is after he was he reigned for three months. So he's carried off to Babylon, and then he took the king's offspring, which we had talked about, Zedekiah, and he made a covenant with him. But he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar by sending his ambassadors to Egypt. So uh, he was making this agreement or trying to make this alliance with Egypt, And then we see that Nebuchadnezzar finds out about this. Uh, It says Pharaoh, and then when the siege comes, three more years from now, when the siege comes, in the ninth year of the captivity, Pharaoh, whenever the siege happens, Pharaoh will not come to the aid of Jerusalem. They will not help them. So says Pharaoh will not help Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar sets up the siege mound against it. And then Zedekiah will be taken... uh, to Babylon and, and there he will die he'll be taken to Babylon he'll be put in prison and then he'll die there in, in prison uh, and then in the last uh, few verses here in 22 through 24 we see the the hope uh, a future hope hope of future blessings it says a tender twig will be planted on the mountain height of Israel and it will become a majestic cedar so even though these things are happening Babylon will be They'll be taken away captive into Babylon, yet there will be a return. God will not make uh, an end to them there, but they will actually return to the land of Israel. Questions, thoughts? Chapter 18. So really quickly, hopefully we can get through this. So there is a parable. Uh, The children of Israel are speaking a parable at this point. Uh, you can see that it's written there. It says, "The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge." There was this thought uh, among the children of Israel that were in captive also, uh, captivity, also the ones that were in Jerusalem, that you know the things that were happening was because they were paying for the sins of their fathers. And God says that He He says, "You will no longer use this proverb." He's going to put an end to this proverb. And in verse three, He says that. He says, make sure I'm on the right page here. Okay. In verse 4, okay. In verse 4, he says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. And then he says, The soul that sins shall die. Meaning that there is an individual responsibility in that the person... The individual that sins is the one that will will have to pay the price, will die, will pay for those sins. And throughout the rest of the chapter, I think not all of the chapter, but all the way through verses 29. So 5 through 29, there's five examples given uh, as to kind of explain this a little bit more in detail. So the soul that sins shall die. And then if you... To divide those up, the first one is in verses 5 through 9. The second one will be in 10 through 13. The third one, 14 through 20. Uh, And You've got each of these on the sheet here that you can see. Uh, The the fourth one, 21 through 23. And then the last one, 24 through 29. Uh, The first one, uh, the righteous father shall live because of his righteousness. So when a just man does what's right... He avoids the things that he shouldn't, and he practices the things that he should. Basically, the law of God, obeying the commandments, that person will live because of the righteousness, because his heart was set on God to do his will. If that father or if that man should have a son, I guess, and he does what is wicked, then the wicked things that he does and he practices unrighteousness, then that person will die. He will pay for the sins that he's committed. And in the next verses, 14 through 20, if, if that son then has a son, the grandson has a son and does righteous things, then that son shall live because of his righteousness. So we see there a, a righteous father, an unrighteous son, and then a righteous grandson. And so neither one of those will have to pay for the sins that their fathers have committed. So each one of them will be responsible uh, for their own. And then also we had talked about, I think Chuck mentioned last week, about the righteousness is not transferable either. So you know even if a father has done righteousness, then that won't be counted as righteousness for the son. It's an individual responsibility. And then also there's the example given in 21 through 23. If there's a wicked man and he turns from his sin, he turns from his, let's see, if a wicked man turns from his sins and commits iniquity, his righteousness will not be remembered. So I think that should be a, a righteous man, right? Did I miss, uh, type that? 21 through, let's see. Ah, uh, okay. There we go. So, verse 21, uh, let's see. If a wicked man turns from his sins and which he is committed and keeps my statutes. Okay. So, if he turns from his sins and he keeps his statutes, but does what is lawful, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Okay. So, if a wicked man turns from his sins and practices righteousness, he will not die. And then also the other thing, if, if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, the righteousness which he, uh, which he did will not be remembered, he shall die. So uh, it, it's important to be, uh, I guess you could say, faithful until death. Uh, thoughts? And then very very quickly, the very last thing, uh, 30 through 32, it says God will, call, God will judge according uh, everyone to His ways. God wants them to repent and get themselves a new heart and a new spirit. Uh, we read about that. You know, God giving them a new heart uh, back in chapter 11. Here it's more of their responsibility uh, for what God has provided to, have, to get themselves a new heart and a new spirit. And also God has no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, but wants them to turn and to live. He wants them to repent uh, and to obey his commandments. So, thoughts? No? All right, good. Thanks a lot.